Hey, welcome back to the Dead Patch Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to this latest episode of the Dad's Patch Podcast. Um, I have to apologize for last week. It was just mental and I didn't get the chance to record an episode for the podcast. Um, we had a lot on, which I'll come to in this episode because quite a lot of it last week was um, down to a working bee, a charity working bee we were planning on Thursday so we had a lot of things on our plate um and yeah so this episode is completely dedicated to our charity Oki um it's a charity that my wife Angie and I started back in 2016 um but we were actually doing quite a bit of charitable work before that so I'll come on to that and explain what led up to us creating the charity, how it's been over the last few years and what our plans are for the future. Um, So yeah, happy listening. Okay, so you you might want to press pause now, go get yourself a cup of tea or coffee or beverage of choice um, because this is going to be a long one. Um, Yeah, it's hard to explain how we came up with the charity in only just two minutes. Um, so this is going to be a full-on episode going right back to the beginning of um, when we came up with a charity fundraiser as opposed to okay, um, because there was quite a bit of work gone into what we did beforehand. So, yeah, so let me take you back to and. 12. So back, I was working in the corporate sector then um, for an engineering consultant and a few of the lads I was working with, they'd already done the Oxfam trial walk the year before um, in 2011 and that is a 100 kilometre walk, Uh, it was in Taupo in New Zealand at the time and basically it's a team of five has to complete 100 kilometers straight so in, I think you get like maybe 25 26 hours to complete the full 100k and your entire team has to complete it if one of your team drops out that's it you're you're more or less disqualified um so for 2012 I signed up to do the walk with them a nice little challenge and um, but then unfortunately um, a couple of the guys had to drop out and it just didn't happen. So I kind of volunteered and was pushed into organising our own event of a similar elk um, here in Auckland. So Tapo is about three and a half hours south of Auckland. So the guys wanted something local to do. But um, trying to find a route of 100 kilometres in Auckland isn't that easy because it's quite built up. And um, But then on the west western side of the city, there's a pretty massive harbour called, called the Manukau Harbour. And I think it's like the second largest harbour in New Zealand. And all, from one side 
of the um, estu- the um, endpoint of the harbour to the other head is around about 125 kilometres. So I googled the route and said, "Lads, this is what we should do." And I said, "Yeah, yeah, we should do that." So that was what we we're going to do as a fundraiser. And so I told Andrew what I'd come up with during that day, and she's like, "Oh, that'd be awesome, but there's no way I'm going to do 125k." And but then we together we came up with the idea of making it a relay. So one person walks 25 kilometers. So you have a team of five, and each person walks 25 kilometers each over the space of 24 hours. And that was how we came up with the head-to-head walk um, here in Auckland, New Zealand. And that, again, that was in 2012. And I organized it, planned it, used my project management background to put it all together, found a few sponsors. Um, I think in total we got about six teams on board. So six teams of... Um, it was four people the first year, so it was just four people in each team, and so each person walked nearly 30 kilometers each, and um, I crazily decided to start it on a Friday night, so we would finish on a Saturday afternoon, so do a full 24 hours, but I hadn't accounted for how long it actually takes on a Friday afternoon because of all the tra- traffic problems in Auckland to get out to the start line, so quite a few people were late. And then it was pretty crazy logistics and um, people walking down really dark, relatively dangerous country roads in the middle of the night, um, just with high-vis vests on and not much else support. Um, but we didn't, we didn't really know what we was doing in terms of an event. Um, we didn't even have an event permit. We didn't have insurance. We didn't have anything. It was just me and the lads just decided to do it, and a few other people just jumped on board. So, in hindsight, it's kind of amazing there wasn't an accident of some sort. But um, we made it. Um, all the teams finished. Um, it was a long, long weekend. Um, but we raised just over eight thousand dollars that first event, and. And that was it. I thought, I'm done. I'm just going to carry on with my life now. We've got out there out the way. Didn't really want to do it again because it's quite a pain and it was a, a lot of hard work to make it happen. Um, but then things settled down. A couple of months passed by. We'd handed over money to a charity to get their program set up at a school. And I thought, yeah, good. Life's ticking on. And then I got a few emails from some of the participants and they said, oh, you're doing the walk again this year. And I'm like, ah, I hadn't really thought about it. I thought I was under the assumption everyone was just happy to do once and that was it. But then, no, no, we we really enjoyed it and we want to do it again. So, yeah, so I had to do it again. (laughs) Um, We um, got more teams interested, a few more suppliers, a few more sponsors. And actually, between the first and the second walk, um, Angela and I were getting married for a start, but I was pretty, oh, yeah, I would say depressed in the workplace. Um, I wasn't having a good time of it at all. Um, I was hating my job. Um, I told the managers that I was hating it. Um, They didn't listen. I told the managers that 
there's a lot of people under pressure suffering depression and stress and people and people we're working with are in tears on a weekly basis because they're just having too much work to do working crazy hours the managers didn't give a crap they just said no job's got to get done just get on with it so i gave them basically an ultimatum to say look it's january now if you don't improve things by march i'm walking and they kind of just didn't believe me so come end of february beginning of march i said look things haven't changed here's my notice and they kind of were a bit shocked and um i didn't have a job to go to i just knew that i had to get out of that one and so they said okay i actually give them like six weeks notice to find somebody else but they said no you can leave next week on um full pay i'm like oh happy days then i've got like five weeks now to help and plan the wedding and um get the house in order for when my parents came down for the wedding and it was all actually worked out pretty well and it meant that i was getting my mind and head straight to start married life in a much better state which is which is pretty awesome and but then once we got married and the wedding was all sorted and it was an awesome day, it was like, okay, what the heck am I going to do now job-wise because I haven't got a job. And it was the first time this was, how old was I then? Um, 36 or something. So it had been like 20 years. I've been in employment for 20 years. Um, I've never been without a job since I was 16. So it's quite a shock to the system. But... Um, regardless of job, I still had people asking me about this charity walk and whether I was going to do it again. So I found some contracting work and a few little jobs and carried on planning the walk and we did it again. And that second year, because we put a bit more planning into it and we got a few more teams on board, we actually raised double the amount. So we raised over 16000 the second year. And again, we were just like, okay, who who are we going to support this year with the money? And we supported like um, a garden, more of a um, fruit tree planting project. We sent some school kids to camp by paying for the buses and stuff. And, um, yeah, we just paid for some smaller projects. Um, but none of them were just really going, wow, this is amazing. Look what we've done. It was just like, yeah, there's more of a, we need to get not rid of the money, but we need to show people who took part in the walk that we're spending the money and it's making a difference. And so, yeah, and then we managed to get a sponsor on board for the walk, so it became the Hubbard's head-to-head walk. And um, we thought, wow, this is really taking off. It's becoming a real awesome event. Um but between the second and the third year, we, we really came to the idea of like, okay, what are we going to do in terms of the funds from this charity event? We've got some significant funds. I mean, like sixteen dollars to $20,000 from an event. Um, and it should really be making a difference, not just funding little projects that are making one or two small impacts, but nothing significant. So um, I started having to think about it and we, 
we knew that we wanted to help kids and especially as we live in South Auckland. So everyone sees New Zealand as this picture postcard country and um, they think the whole country is just made up of Lord of the Rings scenes. And, um, but like most countries in the world with large cities, um, the cities are divided between the rich and the poor and the divide is actually getting worse. There's, an, there's not that middle ground so much anymore. It's like you're either rich or you're poor. It's, um, and especially in South Auckland, there's lots of social issues and um, cultural issues and political issues that are driving the um, state of this community. So we said, well, we live here. We should be sorting out what's on our doorstep rather than helping these nationwide charities or these charities that are sending money overseas, why try and sort out overseas issues when there's issues on our doorstep that need to get addressing. So um, we were looking for a project to support with a third year of the walk. And um, I got approached by Papato West School, which is just literally five minutes drive away from our house. And they wanted the Garden to Table program. Now, Garden to Table is a non-profit here in New Zealand, um, kind of based on a model that was in Australia, but the difference being the Australia model for teaching gardening and cooking was kind of a government-funded project, whereas the one here in New Zealand, even though it's a similar model, it was privately funded or it's purely a charity. And so it's... You have to, schools have to pay for the program. And so Papatari West Principal had um, installed it in her previous school and she said it could make a real significant impact to both the school and the community. And we're like, well, that's exactly what we're looking for in terms of a project to fund through the head-to-head walk. And so that was what we're going to do with the funds from that walk we said we're going to pull in, go into the tail program into Papatoe West. We did um, press release about it. Hubbards were also were keen because they're like, oh, yeah, that's good. We can tell all our um, people this is what we're doing it for. We can tell our customer base this is what we're supporting. And it fitted in nicely with their um, sustainability program and ethics, etc. But the biggest problem was that they wanted the garden to table program, which was about three and a half thousand dollars, but there was no garden at the school. And so the kind of the proviso was that okay, we'd help, we'll fund the program, but there needs to be a working bee to build the garden. And um, the school was like, yeah, this is amazing. This is we'll get the community build it and stuff, which is um, a great way to kickstart something like this. And so. The walk was going to be in October and we were going to build the garden in February for the school new school year here in New Zealand. And so we was getting close to the um, the walk went well. We raised the funds again. Another 16,000, 17,000 was raised. And then we came to the school and said, okay, you ready for the working bee now? We've got the volunteers from the walk are keen to come along. No, we haven't. Going to table haven't come to the party. They're not. They're not going to help us with the working bee. Paul, can you really? We really need some help getting this off the ground. 
And said, okay. So the school had the funds to buy the raised beds, but Ange and I were like, there needs to be more than just raised beds if this is going to be a success. You need the tools, you need wheelbarrows, you need soil, you need greenhouse and tool shed and all the other things that really make a garden. And um, I was thinking back to what my granddad had on the allotments at, in the UK. And he had all this stuff on his allotment. I'm like, this is what you need if you're going to make a success of it. Um, so Ange and I went out and we spent another five or $6,000 on equipment for the garden, which would be built during the working bee. So we, well, our liaise with a supplier for the raised beds and then we put, purchased everything else from the funds from the walk. So in total, it was about eight to 9,000 spent on the garden, including the garden to table um, program. And so the working bee happened. We got all our friends and family there. Um, and this was pre-Taylor. So it was kind of, life was a bit easier then. So we could just rock up and organize everything without having to look for babysitting and stuff. And um, it was a really good day. We got everything, pretty much everything done apart from greenhouse but it kind of skimps on the greenhouse and we, it was a Chinese import one so all the instructions were in Chinese or very bad English so it was hard to know what to do so the um, the greenhouse got finished a little while later but everything else got finished and then it was we're looking at it sitting back at the end of the day going this is a good job and speaking to Diana the principal and she's like you should really think about doing this, Paul, as a, like a full-time gig because the skill set that I brought to the project, um, having the project management notes and the procurement knowledge and um, just the ability to make it all happen in one day by pulling everything together. She's like, schools don't have this ability. They um, Sometimes they can find the funding, but they definitely don't have the time or the resources to pull something like this together. So I said, okay, okay. I just took it with a pinch of salt. I'm like, yeah, okay. I'm uh, I'm in the process of job hunting at the moment, but I'll definitely consider it. And so, yeah, so that was, um, how long was that? That was, that'd be 2015. So um, I was currently working, doing a job. And yeah, again, it was one of those things that, I just thought it was done. We'd done a one-off garden and didn't think much more about it, really. And then, again, people were saying, are you doing the walk again this year? And I got some great feedback from the garden build and said, when's the next garden build? I'm like, this is all starting to get a bit big and crazy. It's like, and I had to have a good sit down with Ange and go, look, I think I really need to focus on this. This seems like a a really important thing to do. Um, I mean, Ange and I aren't religious in any way, but it did feel like a calling in a way to say, look, I was in a bad state in the corporate sector when I'd finished, whereas this is like really rewarding stuff. Um, my skills can be used in a really good way. Um, we can find the funding for these projects. And so... Ange being Ange, 
um, she said, just go for it. Just, um, I know a few people was like, well, maybe you should just get a proper job. But I tried the proper jobs and it wasn't satisfying and it was just depressing. And so, yeah, that was how it happened. And um, at the same time, Angie and I had just started on the um, fertility route as well for get bringing Taylor into the world. So um, we was going through that and I was just finishing up a job um, that I really wasn't enjoying. Um, they'd told me it was going to be one job and it turned into something completely different. And I thought I would be able to balance both the charity stuff and the job, but I just, it was just, no, it just wasn't happening. So it's probably the shortest job I'd, ha- I'd ever had in my life. And it was only last year for six months. And I went, no, I'm sorry, but it's getting in the way of my charity work and getting this charity off the ground. So I need to quit. And so I quit that job. And um, I don't know, it just, it just, it wasn't, didn't feel like I was quitting. It felt, felt like it was just the next step on my career path into becoming the chief go-getter at, at the head-to-head charity at the time. But then later that year in 2015, I was like, head-to-head charity just doesn't speak kids' charity. And um, if we're going to go down the garden route as well, of putting gardens into schools, um, it needs to be something more kiddie-focused. And, and so um, I had a moment, like a three o'clock in the morning moment where I woke up and thought, ah, it needs to be something around the oak tree um, because the oak tree is so significant to me being British. And in the very front of Papatory West School, there's this massive oak tree. And it just took, took it as a sign that this is what it should be. So I just Googled what oak tree is in Maori here in New Zealand. And it's okay, O-K-E is okay, and that's Maori for oak tree. And that's it. That's what it's going to be. And then I took the, I was thinking about um, from acorns, mighty oaks grow, from the old English um, proverb. And I'm like, so we can grow mighty kids just doing from acorns, mighty oaks grow, grow mighty kids. And that was it. That was basically, it was a just a moment. And then I cheekily approached uh, Libby and Ben consultancy they now they Libby and Ben are a sister and brother who had just won the first season of the block tv show here in New Zealand and so I approached them thinking ah oh, there's no way they're going to do it but um Ben came out to me and said let's have a coffee and have a chat about um getting your brand together and developing a website and stuff for you and this was I think in the December um we met up in the January and by the February, um, the brand was all done and we launched the Rocket Charity. So this is now February 2016. Um, the Oki Charity branding had all been done. The website was pretty much ready to launch. And we had our next school planned, so Papatari East. So 
the awesome team at Papatoe West where we built the garden the year before had recommended me as well as the charity to Papatoe East because they knew they were looking to get a garden built and um, they said, oh, if you're going to do it, you might, you really want to get Paul on board because um, he can make it all happen in just a day um, by pulling everything together. Um, so, yeah, so I started planning that with the school, just getting an idea of what they wanted, the space and stuff, and um, looking at, into the funding for it and things. Um, but literally the same week that um, I launched Rocky Charity to the world, um, I became a stay-at-home dad. So uh, Andrew went back to work. Um, Taylor was six months old, so um, Andrew's then working three 12-hour shifts a week. So Monday, Tuesday, 12 hours, and then a Friday night shift of 12 hours. Um, and I was fully stay-at-home. I was just me and Taylor the entire week. And um, so... I decided to try and run a charity full-time whilst trying to keep a six-month-old entertained. And naively, I thought, oh, there'll be naps during the day where I could um, do a couple of hours of this and that. But Taylor had other ideas. So, um, and yeah, he decided to start crawling as well the same week as I became the stay-at-home dad. So he wasn't so easy to keep an eye on he was um pretty quick um at crawling pace and he was into everything and um and then on a andrew's still breastfeeding so on a daily basis i'll be taking taylor to the hospital twice a day because that's so Andrew could breastfeed and so that was a couple of trips out during the day um and yeah, he would maybe nap for like 45 minutes. So by the time I got him down and did a couple of jobs, like washing up or just tidying up a little bit, I'd just sit down to go on my laptop to do emails or something and, and be waking up. And so, yeah, so it'd be literally just evenings and yeah, not even weekends, just because like Saturdays, because Andrew's working night shift. And Taylor was missing his mum like crazy during the night, like up every hour, every couple of hours, like crying for his mum. Neither Andrew and I would get any sleep on a Friday night. So Saturdays became zombie Saturdays. So Saturdays was written off for doing much at all. And then, so yeah, so I was literally trying to do run the charity just on a few hours each night. And it was kind of nice in a way because it was meant that we could just do a slow launch of the charity and slowly ramp things up and there wasn't really any pressure because one, we didn't have the funding to do a whole heap of school school gardens at the time and two, I didn't have the time to do lots of stuff. So, yeah, so that first year, 2016, we only did one school. It was Papatoe East. Um, but that was nice. It was just meant that we could get it done right, you know, um, get the right people on board and do it properly. And then, then we did the charity walk again. And that was, um, 
that's kind of enough because, like I say, I was doing full-time day stay-at-home dad, and that was, I don't know, I mentioned it before on previous podcasts about the social issues and social constraints of being a stay-at-home dad. Um, just, it seems a bit harder. I don't know why. But um, I was still getting used to that at the same time, so it was quite a lot of things going on. But um, it was an it was a real cool time just to try and do all both exciting things like launching something new and being a dad for for the first time and that what all that brings and just seeing the things that new things that tallied every, every day and and seeing the new things I learned from being a charity founder every day um, just meeting the new people in the charity sector and get an understanding of how the charity sector works as opposed to a corporate sector. So, yeah, so there's quite a lot to learn. Um, and it went well. I, th- I thought it went pretty well. Um, people quite, they like the brand of the charity. They like the idea, the fact that um, <clears throat> we physically build something. So each time we did it, it's kind of a legacy project. So we just... Um, there wasn't really anyone doing it. Um, and the fact that we funded it, planned it, and implemented it, and did the follow-up afterwards. So we would, um, we would I wouldn't get back to the schools as often as I'd really like, just because of everything else going on, but at least I knew that everything was there that they needed. So it's more so time from their side that would probably be the issue, as opposed to having the facilities and the equipment needed um so yeah so 2016 was a launch and everything got off and we started getting people on board the charity and from a a board's perspective and then we were trying to find the right people and which took a bit of time and then people went come and went on the board due to time constraints and um wasn't really what they were looking for or they had other um commitments and stuff which is a which is awesome i mean people are giving up their own time so you can't really complain um so then into 2017 um we started um i still stay at home dad full time and taylor started daycare when he just started, turned two so he's doing like three days a week so that freed up a couple of days a week to do more charity stuff, focus on Oki. And we did a couple more gardens. Um, and we started to get into a routine of how we did things, and um, like hiring a van the day before the working bee, going to pick up everything and then pack up the van the night before. And um, so we've got, we could take everything to site. And um, I mean, we've, we, those first, I guess, first seven working bees, we were literally doing everything on site in one day. Um, with the raised beds, we were getting raw timber delivered in lengths of like three to four meters. And we had a drop saw and drills all set up on site. So we were having a like bit of a production line. So we had guy, some people... Um, cutting the wood to length. Then we had another station where people would be pre-drilling the holes. 
and then there'd be another station where we'd be assembling the beds and then there'd be another crew that would building the polytunnel or greenhouse and another crew building the tool shed so we needed a good 25 30 volunteers at the working bee and so people don't i don't think even now people don't really appreciate the amount of work that goes into planning these working bees and the amount of work it takes to procure materials to get the relationships going with suppliers I mean, even to this day, we still don't have any sponsors, really. Um, we have Mighty 10 Mega on board um, that subsidize and they do donate like wheelbarrows and some sheds, but we don't have any paying sponsors and we don't have any donors. And we have a couple of great trusts, like local trusts that fund the charity. And um, well, I'll come back onto that in a little while, but. Um, so yeah, the working bees started to become real efficient days of um, product productivity. Um, the thing that really brought it home to us was when we did Manuel Central. Um, Laurie won't mind me mentioning that he was the principal at the time, and he really wasn't that interested in having a garden at the school. He took quite a bit of convincing. And even to the day of the working bee, he was still unconvinced of we could deliver what we promised. Um, because there's a lot of charities, community groups, we have all the goodwill in the world, but they just don't always deliver on what they promise. So, but we rocked up with our van full of goods and materials and tools, set up everything. And Laurie was just blown away. He was just like, gosh, you guys are like real professional setup. And like, yeah, this is kind of, we know what we're doing. And so he thought he was going to have to um, pull on his principal's hat and manage the whole day. And we are like, no, Laurie, just get your gloves on, pick up the tools and help get stuck in. We've got this. And at the end of the day, we completed his garden for him. And he was just like, if you need any recommendations with any schools, just give me a call and I'll get straight onto the phone to them. He said, because you guys are the real McCoy. You're legit. And um, you're doers. You do exactly what you say you're going to do. And um, and I guess that, also, that probably stems from a corporate background because um, when you're working on projects like refurbishing power stations or um, doing new model year implementations at Jaguar or, you know, you have to hit the dates. There's no messing around. It's like if you say something's going to be on production line at Jaguar on a specific time in a specific day, it has to happen because if you stop the track at Jaguar, it's like £10,000 a minute that you're stopping the track for. Or um, <clears throat> if you miss the dates of a power station getting back online, you're talking um, hundreds of thousands of pounds per day, per week. So you have to deliver on your promises. And that's just stuck with me, I suppose. It's just that um, if you've told a school that one is in need, two has been let down by people in the past, and three, you've got children there present seeing what's being done, 
you want to make sure it's done right, you know. So, um, so yeah, so we've done, we did that working bee, got them up and running. And um, it was a pretty special because a part of that project as well, we managed to get an artist on board and the school paid her to paint a 20 meter by 10 meter mural on the wall behind the garden. And it's just a magnificent piece of art. And it's an sh- amazing backdrop for the garden there. Um, and so, yeah, so that was October 2017. Um, so last year, 2018, we did manage to do, do another three schools, again, all in South Auckland. So we're starting to get the numbers now. So we're starting to um, creep up towards that magic number 10 school. And, I mean, all the way through this as well, we've, Andrew and I had this goal from the beginning of creating the charity that we wanted to get all the schools in Papatari where we live set up. Now there's, I think there's about eight schools in total, um, seven primaries and intermediate, and then then the high school on top. But um, the plan was to get all of them growing in their own garden and having a farmer's market in a central park with all of them bringing their own stall and selling their own goods. Um, but we found it quite frustrating and difficult to get some of the principals on board from these papatory schools. So um, that's still our goal, but we figure while there's a change of the guard or there's a, we get change their minds, then we'll just, if other schools are available within South Auckland or willing and ready, we'll help them. So we've done schools across South Auckland now. And at the probably, yeah, at the beginning of this year, we started working with uh, three new schools. Um, and the exciting thing is, is that just last week on the 5th of September, which was what made last week so crazy, and um, we built our 10th uh, school garden or should I say outdoor classroom, because, um, yeah, I'll come back onto that in a little while because we're just having a bit of a change in direction as to what we say we do. Um, but, yeah, we built our 10th outdoor space at um, Puanui School here in Papatari. So we, get, we did get another Papatari School t- ticked off the list, and um, and it's it seems such a, an amazing milestone to finally got 10 schools done. Um, because 10 schools is an achievement in itself, but when you break it down, that across those 10 schools, there's just over 5,000 kids, 5,500 kids across all 10 schools. And then, and then since we started like, at Papatoe West, like a few years ago, kids have come and gone, like started the schools or left the schools that have used those spaces. Um, so, yeah, so probably across the 10 schools, we may have given access to like to an outdoor garden, an outdoor sp- space for like six and a half thousand kids, um, which isn't bad for a, a charity of Oki size. Um, there's, there's charities a lot, lot larger than us that aren't having a, such an impact. Um, so, yeah, so it's to get Puminui on board, and, and the nice thing with that is it, it ties in nicely with what we used to do with the head-to-head walk, which is no more. It stopped in 2017. But um, 
the route of that head-to-head walk used to go pretty much right past Pirinui School. So um, Andrew and I have always wanted to get Pirinui on board because it's just a nice sentimental reason. Um, so, yeah, so we've we've done really well. We've got school number 10 on board and um, just looking to get the funds for the next school. Um, but, yeah, just earlier in the year, based on feedback from the schools and what we've witnessed ourselves is that these spaces that we build through the working bees, they're more than just gardens. They're more, you can literally teach any subjects that um, is taught at the schools within the space, um, especially science, language, um, art, uh, even your maths. Um, all your STEM subjects can all be taught in the garden space um, in an outdoor classroom as we're recalling them now, because, um, yeah, the, the outdoor classroom just has such a wider um, connotation. And with gardens, you tend to just think about fruit and veggies. And and then as soon as we mention gardens as well, people automatically think, oh, you just like garden to table. And we're like, no, we're not like garden to table. Um they provide an education resource and um, it's a program for learning to grow and cook food. But we're much more than that. We physically provide a space to learn, which they don't. Um, we invest $10,000 in each school, which they don't. Um, we put a whole community together to build a space. They don't. Um, and I'm not... I'm not bagging what they do. They do a good job for what their purpose is, but we're not the same. So it's um, it's trying to change the message from what we do um, to be more um, holistic and more, um, I guess, um, legacy-based. Um, these spaces we build are not just for the few classes that are there at school now, um, 10, 15 years' time, these spaces can still be used. Um, and and it also gets the kids thinking and working together, you know. It gets them um, just interacting outside and really appreciating the length of time it takes to uh, make things happen. Um, they're great spaces for the mental health of kids. So when a kid's struggling and they're, struggling with the noise of a classroom um, and they can't concentrate or and some with some kids that means they're disruptive now these schools have got spaces for those kids to go and just chill out spend 15 20 minutes just pulling out weeds or just looking at what's going on in the those spaces and um, we put and that's one of the reasons we put benches into the spaces we design and and build so the kids and teachers can just sit there and just enjoy the quiet time and that's the more we've done the more garden spaces outdoor classrooms ocs that we build um the more learnings we do um for instance manual central there's a couple of boys on the autistic spectrum and they 
they just love this these outdoor spaces to learn um, again they're away from the noise of a classroom um, they can touch things they can interact all their senses are heightened and stuff and, um, there's no stigma to the people in the garden you know there's, as I like to say the plants don't give a crap what race you are what religious leanings you have um, how fit you are if you're a tad overweight um, it, it, the plants don't care they just want watered and they just want loved and that's the great thing with these spaces it breaks down all barriers um, and even learning capabilities it doesn't matter if like you're top of the class or struggling you can grow things just as easily as anybody else in fact um kids who struggle academically um practically they might be better than the academic kids and um, they have a different way of thinking they have more of a practical way of thinking and it gives them an opportunity to do better than the academic kids to think ah i can actually do something with my life i can have uh, an out there is something that i could actually do um there's I don't have to pass all the exams that are ridiculously put on me. Um, I can just be the school's best um, at growing stuff and be that veggies, medicinal, flowers. It doesn't really matter. Um, I know even the entrepreneurial kids, um, again, Emmanuel Central, they set up a um, table on a Friday afternoon to sell some of the veggies. And there's a couple of kids that they don't want to get their hands dirty, but if you mention to them that they can make money, they're straight onto it. They're like, I'll be the one that sells the money, sells the veggies and makes all the money. And like, you know, so it's, that's the problem with calling these spaces gardens is that people have this thing that, oh, you just want to make kids grow veggies. And, and it's like, no, it's so much more than that. And um, and that's what makes my job so rewarding is when you see these things happening and um, and yeah but it's going to come to a point where well, it already has really where I can't just keep doing it just for the love of it um, bills are topping up um, a car is constantly breaking down there's bills to pay Taylor's school fees and trips and everything going to start going up and and we've sacrificed holidays for the last couple of years because we couldn't afford it because we've just done Angie's income um, and so yeah we've, we've really got to start taking off into a different direction um, and yeah possibly away from the charity model into more of a social enterprise model or something to start bringing more funds in because I need to get paid and um, and I mean a proper wage as well, not just a token amount that I've been getting over the last couple of years. Um, I mean, you ask anyone, doesn't matter how much they love their job, I can guarantee you that you, they wouldn't do it for nothing, which is basically what I'm currently expected to do. And um, and I mean, that's part of the thing with setting up your own business. But the difference with the business is, is that you're making money. Um, but people 
rightly or wrongly, expects as a charity, you're not supposed to make money. You're supposed to just make things happen out of fresh air almost. And um, I'm like, that's not how it works, especially when you're trying to put the amount of infrastructure into schools that we do. Um, Yeah, we can find the money for the project itself and companies and corporates and trusts are willing to fund 10K for the actual project of building a garden. But as soon as you mentioned you're trying to find funds for operational costs like wages and vehicles and new tools and new marketing material and website updates and getting someone on board to help do the social media, all this stuff that I need, I have to do myself. And they're like, oh, no, um, we don't fund operational costs. I'm like, well, how do you expect us to carry on then? And so, yeah, we need to kind of come up with a plan. And um, so, yeah, if anyone's listening to this podcast and they want to back Oki with a bit of money, then head over to the Oki website, which is oke.org.nz, and you can read all about the charity. And there's a wee donation button on there, which um, you can hit and donate to us. Um, If this anchor um, podcast was in the US, then we couldn't possibly make some funds through these adverts and stuff for our charity, just like the awesome people at Bullock um, Garden Project are doing in New Jersey. So I've mentioned them before. They're one of the reasons I've started this podcast. Um, and, yeah, they're they're actually making some money through their podcast, um, which, yeah, who knows, maybe one day I'll be able to do the same through this. But in the meantime, um, I'm going to have to love you and leave you because I need to start writing some grant applications. Um, and start planning for 2020 and see what we can build then and who knows we might even have some partners on board by then you hear me partners sponsors donors trusts philanthropists any of you guys just get in touch um because the charity really is doing amazing stuff and we're starting to partner and liaise with other charities around the globe that are doing similar amazing stuff for their kids because we all recognize that these outdoor spaces are needed especially now when there's so much stress on kids and people in general we need to just step back unwind chill and just let our kids just enjoy being kids um in really cool spaces so thank you for listening um appreciate you listening to the end because this is quite a bit longer than my other dad's patch episodes hope you've enjoyed what you've heard and if you want to ask any questions have ideas for the charity and just want to say hi please do get in touch um you can leave a message on here on the podcast you can get in touch on my instagram feed at Dad's Patch or at OKE underscore charity um, or just drop me an email. Um, yeah, it'd be great to hear from you. Thanks for listening.